0: Well, obviously, Christmas is about Jesus and it's about his birth. But you guys probably would agree with me when I, I said that Christmas time is, is really largely about family. It's, it's families getting together, and, and that is so much fun. It, it is also a little bit complicated. And if any of you are younger brothers or younger sisters, and I'm the third out of four, so I qualify as a younger brother, you'll agree with me that being with family can be a little bit complicated, right? Because no matter what you grow up to do, no matter how old you get, let's say 48 and bald, for instance, no matter what you have accomplished or in this case, what you failed to accomplish, whenever you get together with family, there's an element of you're still the kid brother you're still the squirt you're you're still 12 years old and awkward and we know who you are in some ways with family there's there's such a familiarity that perhaps we don't always see what god has made other people in the family to be it it's true and it's most notably true at Christmas time. A little brother is always a little brother, no matter what he grows up to be. A little sister is always a little sister, no matter what she grows up to be. The family knows him, the family knows her, the family loves him or her, but perhaps the family doesn't see the depth because they're blinded by a familiarity. Have y'all, y'all experienced that any, at all? I mean, those of you who aren't only children, it's something to note. In that light, I'd like to point you to the words of Hark the Herald Angels Sing. What we're going to do is we're just going to look at these real quickly, and you're going to look at them, and I think most of you probably are are very familiar. You, You know this song. You love this song. I just want you to look through the words because they're rich. They're incredible. There's depth, theological depth, depth of meaning. Read through them. All right, most of you have read those words before, maybe, maybe you know, 50 or 60 times before over the, the Christmases that we've all shared. We, we grow up singing this song. I think it's safe to say that most of us really love this song, but do we understand the lyrical depth of this song? Do, do we understand the content? Or kind of like a little brother, did, did we just grow up with it such that we just see it as something tethered to an experience, but, but maybe not with the nuance that the author intended. Perhaps a little background could help. Charles Wesley wrote this song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. He, he wrote this song, and Charles Wesley, and you'll see him here, he, he's a guy uh, who was a great preacher in his own right, a preacher in a time when preachers wore wigs. It was a great time to be a preacher. <laughs> Charles Wesley, a little bit jealous. He wrote this song, but he called it a hymn for Christmas Day. Now, Hark the Herald Angels Sing is what we call it today. Charles Wesley called it a hymn for Christmas Day. Which do you think is more catchy? Hark the Herald Angels Sing, right? It's a much better hymn title. Charles Wesley did not have great creativity when he would name his songs. In fact, the first line was actually changed subsequent to him writing the song, so it didn't even say Hark the Herald Angels Sing, but A hymn for Christmas Day, that's generic. It's a very generic name for a song. But I want you to cut the guy some slack. Here's why. Charles Wesley wrote 8,989 hymns. Let that settle in on you for a second. 8,989 hymns. That's the equivalent of writing 10 lines and understand his hymns were rich in content it was the equivalent of writing 10 lines of beautiful poetry every day for 50 years. That's, that's incredible. So when he writes a hymn and he calls it a hymn for Christmas Day, he probably has a hymn called A Hymn for the 26th. I mean, like, you become a little bit utilitarian at that point. Charles was the 18th kid born... Out of 19, in a very devout and also, as it turns out, fertile home, his parents loved Jesus. His parents were rigorous in their commitment to their religion. He and his older brother, John, both went to Oxford University. And while at Oxford University, they started something called the Holy Club, the Holy Club and it never grew to more than 25 people but it had an incredible impact on the 25 who were part of the holy club at oxford they were rigorous both in their study of scripture and in their application of scripture i mean they tried to do everything that scripture said and they were so rigorous that other other students at oxford university would actually mock them and call them methodists hence the name methodist where the denomination of Methodists was born. They were so methodical in how they studied Scripture and how they applied Scripture, other students called them Methodists, and that's where it was born. Very, very religious, very methodical, very devout. After they graduated from Oxford University, they left Brother John and Charles, they left to go become missionaries in Georgia. And they were there for about a year. Georgia was full of Indians and outlaws. This is the United States, like the Georgia Bulldogs today. Indians and outlaws. And Charles and John went to Georgia and they were there for a year and they came home after a year burnt out, depressed, disillusioned. It was a horrible experience. John Wesley reflected his brother's sentiment when he said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who will convert me? They failed so miserably in their ministry that it put them at a point in crisis. And so, shortly after returning from Georgia after a failed ministry, on May 17, 1738, at 30 years old, after being a missionary in Georgia, after starting the Holy Club, which was the foundation of Methodism, Charles Wesley became a Christian. He became a Christian at thirty while reading Martin Luther's commentary on the Book of Galatians. Interestingly, his brother John became a Christian a week later while reading Martin Luther's commentary on the Book of Romans. Thank God for Martin Luther. Guy did some serious work. Who did, and he had also had an incredible effect on the Wesley brothers. Think about this, though. Just I, I don't want to pass over this too quickly. This guy came out of a religious family. He was deeply committed during his college years to his religion. He went across the ocean to a wild and primitive place in Georgia at the time because of his religion. And after that, he became a Christian. Charles Wesley traded his religiosity for relationship with Jesus at the age of 30 years old. He put aside his reliance on good works so that he could rely instead on God's good grace. And his life was changed at that point. Now, why do I tell you all this? This is, after all, a celebration of Jesus' birth. This is not a celebration of Charles Wesley. Why would I go into all of this detail about Charles Wesley who wrote the song Hark the Herald Angel Sing, because Wesley wrote Hark the Herald Angel Sing just almost immediately after his conversion. In fact, within 18 months, it was published in a a, a bit of a hymnal for people to sing. So, so we know that sometime immediately after his conversion and in the next 18 months, he wrote Hark the Herald Angel Sing, having come out of religiosity and having placed his faith in Jesus and instead developed a relationship with him so I want you to think about that context that immediate context out of which Charles Wesley wrote this song and I I want to look again at the words to see if we can't mine some greater meaning from it put the first slide up there it is hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. What does it mean to be reconciled? What does it mean to be reconciled to a perfect and holy God? It means there is peace and harmony between this perfectly holy God and mankind that is wrecked by sin. There is peace and harmony. Now, just realize that this was all new for Charles Wesley, right? He he had been religious all of his life, but in his life he had confused religiosity with relationship with Jesus. And so now he he is celebrating. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild because God and sinners are reconciled. This was something that was new to him. He had tried to get peace. He had tried to get reconciliation by his religiosity, by his works. It had proven futile to the point that he came home from Georgia depressed. But now he's found something new. He's exchanged religiosity for relationship with Jesus. You hear Charles Wesley's religiosity view or way of life expressed in a lot of ways today in other people. People sometimes will show their religiosity by bragging about their spiritual commitment or accomplishments. You know these people. They're, they're kind of legalists, aren't they? They go, well, you know, I, I really love Jesus, and I can prove that, and I can show you that by, by how often I go to Bible study or how often I go to church. Some of you are kind of Christmas and Easter uh, attenders of church, and, and, and you, you don't like those people. And I get it. Nobody likes those people. Truth be told, the people who are bragging all the time. I get that. That's, that's a commitment to religiosity. That's not a commitment to Jesus. There's another way that that type of spirituality is manifest. It's, it's by the statement, I just can't forgive myself. You you hear that a lot. That's the other side of a legalistic coin. Let me tell you how great I am, but when you get on the wrong side of your own depravity, you go, oh, I I just can't forgive myself. Here's here's the deal. On both sides, let me tell you how great I am, and I just can't forgive myself. And I, I say this with love, and I want you to hear it. It's not about you. It's just not. It it never was. Legalists always think that it's about them. Moralists always think that it's about them. Christians, genuine Christians, know that it always has been, always will be about Jesus. It's about his forgiveness. It's about his grace. It's about his glory. And it's about his reconciliation. That's what he's singing about. Peace on earth and mercy mild... God and sinners reconciled. How did this happen? It has something to do with glory to the newborn king, doesn't it? Contextually, we know that that's what's going on here. Glory, all magnificence to Jesus, this newborn king. But because by his birth, we have God and sinners reconciled. We have peace on earth in our souls. I think this is fresh. For Charles Wesley. I think that's exactly why the newborn king actually came. Second Corinthians 5 19 says, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us this message of reconciliation. It was always about God's glory, and it was always about God's glory through reconciliation he has reconciled us to him and he has given us if we are reconciled to him this message of reconciliation that we take out to the world and that's why we say merry christmas look at the second verse christ By highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord. Late in time, behold him come, offspring of a virgin's womb. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity, pleased with us in flesh to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. I think this is the epicenter of Christian belief. That Jesus, even Jesus as a baby, here mentioned that Jesus was God in the flesh. There's a phrase in this, where is it? Incarnate deity right there. It's an interesting expression. We wouldn't normally use it. Incarnate means in the flesh. Deity means God. So when it's talking about Jesus being an incarnate deity, it's talking about Jesus being God in the flesh. Furthermore, Emmanuel means God with us. So Jesus, our Emmanuel, means Jesus, our God, with us. I don't know how long you've been a Christian. That should be stunning. If you believe that, that should create awe in you. That, that should never become commonplace. I went 18 years ago now to Quito, Ecuador. We were working with a, uh, an orphanage there. One day we went to the dump outside of Quito, Ecuador. It was shocking, it, it was overwhelming. You've never smelled the smells you saw, you smelled in the dump in Quito, Ecuador. The worst smells were all there. But what was worse about the dump wasn't that the smells were so bad, it was that there were people who lived in the dump. And we were there for a half a day and and feeling quite noble actually, to try to love on these people for a half a day. We, We were there to feed them soup, we were there to wash their hair. And two hours in, it was still a little bit overwhelming that people lived in these conditions. But what was more alarming was two hours in, I heard a voice that was clearly an American's voice, but it was not one of our group, and I turned around to see an American. He was walking through the dump, and I said, who are you? He was from Florida. There were several of him there, but they weren't there for a day or a week, they had left the United States and all the privilege that we enjoy, and they lived with the people in the dump in Quito, Ecuador. They lived in a shanty alongside of other people who lived in shanties in the dump in Quito, Ecuador. And I thought, that's amazing. That someone would give up all of this that we enjoy here To live in all of that which they suffer there. And then I thought to myself, Jesus has done far more. Giving up the glories of heaven to come and to be born in a stinking stable. To live 30 years anonymously. To to start a ministry that is going to be categorically rejected by the religious leaders of his day. To be crucified on a cross with dozens, not hundreds, of followers. Emmanuel, God with us. should be shocking if we understood what he came from and he understood and we understood what he understood about what he was coming to do it should shock us why would he do it you're actually going to find that in the third slide Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings. Risen with healing in His wings. Mild He lay His glory by. Here it is. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. This is, of course, as is the whole of this song, Hark the Herald Angel Sing, a reference to Luke chapter 2. Let me read you Luke chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. The angel speaking to the shepherds. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. Who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Why would he do something so crazy as the incarnation? Because he came to raise the sons of earth. He came to give them second birth. Luke chapter 2 says, Unto you is born this day not a child, a Savior, who is the Christ, the Messiah, who is also the Lord. To separate Jesus' birth from his death is historical and theological misconduct. You just can't do it. I know some people want to. Some people want to enjoy a Christmas season and Yule time cheer without talking about. The horrors of the cross to come, or, or the idea that man must be born again in order to be saved. But that's what Charles Wesley understood, and that's what Luke understood when he said, Unto you is born a savior. Not just a kid, not just someone who would be a good example, who would, who would show us how not to sin for all the good that would do us, but a savior. The angel said shepherds would find a savior wrapped in swaddling clothing, lying in a manger. And that's, that's what happened. He came not just to live, but to die. And he came to die so that we who were dead in our trespasses and sins could live. Look, we started this thing by saying familiarity can blind us from appreciating the depth of a little brother or a little sister. Maybe familiarity has blinded us from appreciating the depths of a really, really incredible song. Maybe even familiarity has blinded us from appreciating Christmas. Maybe we've grown so accustomed to Christmas with all its quaint traditions and Yule time cheer that we failed to appreciate the depth of its intended meaning. Jesus was born. Please hear this, to be a savior. That's what Luke says. He was born to be a savior who would die so that we could live. By faith in him, we can live. That's why we say Merry Christmas. If you don't tether it to the crucifixion and the resurrection, what's so merry about it? It doesn't help us in the least unless it wasn't just a kid who was born it was a savior that he was willing to be born that he was willing to come and die among sinners that so that sinners might then be called saints that we might then take the light of Christ to the world that's why we light candles They represent the light of Christ going out. Look, what we're going to do here in a moment is a great application of this passage in microcosm. What we're going to do is we're going to sing, hark the herald angels sing. Like we've never sang it before, people. We are going to appreciate it and we are going to sing it, celebrate it, proclaim it. And then right after that we're going to sing silent night and we're going to take candles and we're going to light them and and the light of Christ is going to fill this room symbolizing the fact that the light of Christ should through us leaving this room fill the world. That's, That's the intent. And so let me pray now when I'm done praying Hark the Herald Angel sing as robustly as we've ever sang it. And then, silent night, and know that the lights is what God has called us to in salvation. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us to see Christmas in a way that we've never seen it. Help us, God, to, to genuinely be merry at Christmas because we realize the implications of Emmanuel, God with us, who came near to live and to die that we might also live. God, I pray that this would be the merriest of Christmases because we understand how great your love for us was in the incarnation. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen.